the Earth Kingdom Prairie Home Companion, a bi-weekly podcast where two nerds and a newbie watch Avatar The Last Airbender and provide all their thoughts, feelings, and opinions. I'm Kelly. I'm Mike. And I'm JJ. Previously on Avatar The Last Airbender... Aang, Katara, and Sokka journey to the Earth Kingdom so that Aang can learn from Bumi, and he discovers just how dangerous the Avatar state can be along the way. Meanwhile, Zuko and Iroh are now the ones being hunted by the Fire Nation, and Azula is a formidable enemy. So today we are doing two episodes that start with Return to Omashu, which is the third episode of Season 2. So I will just start right uh, right in with our recap then. Mm-hmm. Our heroes help the rebels of Omashu deceive the Fire Nation and escape the city. Aang will not leave without Bumi, but Bumi will not leave captivity until the time is right. Azula needs an elite team of huntresses to help her track down Zuko and Iroh, and who better than the best and deadliest of friends? <laughs> I'm really glad that her little team is now assembled. Yeah, I love them. I love May and Tylee. They're two of my favorite characters yeah, in the show. <laughs> they were pretty great. They were pretty great. I really enjoyed this episode. Um, I think out of the two that we're going to talk about today, this one was my favorite. Um, I did like them <clears throat> a lot. They were, I mean, well, we can just talk about them. Um, right now. JJ, why do you like them so much? <laughs> well, they're kind of both, like, two... They're, like, separately in two girls, the girls I was in high school. <laughs> <laughs> like, if you were split in half and distilled to your basic, like, innermost personality traits, it would be those two. Yeah, yeah pretty much. <laughs> um, I love May because she's kind of that, like, sullen goth girl essentially she just like nothing pleases her um and you know everything is kind of just like oh whatever i'm just suffering from ennui all the time <laughs> and then there's and then there's tylee who's just like really cute and cheerful and perky and mm-hmm. you know and i i don't know i just love the two of them so much yeah. they're even animated completely differently like when they're next to each other they almost don't look like they belong in the same show mm-hmm. because they're so you know Tylee's eyes she has like the big eyes right. and like the cutesy like whatever and um Maylee is just like very serious and like subdued um Maylee is or not, not Tylee and May are their names sorry I'm gonna it's gonna take me a minute to get that straight but um they'll May's be here hilarious. for a while you'll have your chance to get it right yeah yeah, they seem like they're going to be sticking around. Um, but when Azula goes to pick up May, and May is just like, please tell me you're here to kill me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she doesn't even say it with that. I think I infl- I had too much inflection in my voice. She's just like, she's just like please tell me you're going to kill and me. And then they yeah. hug and laugh. so funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's great. It's great. I like it because it, it at least for certain with May... Azula actually shows like what passes for affection toward her. I think Tylee is the one who like jumps up and gives May like the full adorable hug. Uh, but even Azula like reaches out and like touches her shoulder, and there's like some genuine uh, affection there. And May is just automatically in with whatever Azula wants. She's like, "Yes, take me with you. I want to, you know, be part of your mission." 
the way that we're introduced to Ty Lee is a little bit different, and I don't really know what to make of it because it's clear that it's clear that all three of these girls have a history, and I'm assuming that we'll learn more about that as the show goes on. Uh, we know that they all went to the same school together at a certain point, or at least Tylee and uh, Azula did. I don't know if May went to the same school or not, or if they mentioned it, but it's clear that the three of them have a history. They're friends. That friendship is palpable. But Azula goes to get Tylee first, and she has essentially run away to join the circus. <laughs> yes, I love that. Her aura has never been <laughs> That's pinker. That's my favorite. It's never been pinker, you guys. Which is just so happy. It's <laughs> so great. It's so great. You know, and the whole time Azula's talking to her, she's like contorted and like doing handstands The and stuff. opening shot is upside down from her perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's really great. And, you know, and Azula goes to see her and says, you know, hey, I want you to help me out on this mission. And Tylee's like, oh, you know, but I'm, I'm so happy here. This is my calling. This is what I want to do. And Azula's like, well, of course, I would not want you to throw that away on my account. You know, absolutely. You must do what you want and what you're, you know, what makes you happiest. And then as she's walking away, she says, but I am going to come and see your show tonight. And right. Tylee is just kind of like, like freaked out about it. And then, of course, Azula goes to see the show and just makes it as horrific as possible by having them let the net on fire. And then she's like, what kind of dangerous animals do you have? And the guy starts to rattle them off and she's like, unleash them all. <laughs> <laughs> just very, you know, essentially. And she implies that she's essentially going to stay and see the show every night and make it progressively more and more dangerous for Tylee to perform until Tylee gives in and joins her little, you know, merry band of murderers. <laughs> I have <laughs> down that uh, Azu- not, I don't know that they're going to murder anyone. Uh, I, I labeled Azula as the ultimate mean girl. Mm-hmm. She is. Because this she is, is like fabulous. the most alpha of alpha mean girl moves. Totally, totally. And I both, I like it. I like it. Um, but I, I feel strange about this introduction to Tylee because we don't get any of that with May. There's no coercion. She's just immediately on board. And so I wonder how, I don't want to say trustworthy, but how how on board with everything Tylee is? Like, why did she run away to join the circus in the first place? Why was she so reluctant to kind of get back in with Azula and everything? Like, I feel like there's a story to be told there, and I'm okay with the fact, shockingly, I know, I'm okay with the (laughs) fact that we don't have that story right now, but I hope that we get that story eventually, because it, I mean, it seemed, I don't know, like, we spent a lot of time with it in this episode, We spent a lot of time with her and at the circus and the whole thing. And so, you know, whereas they just show up for May and they're like, come with us. And she's like, okay. (laughs) Yeah, well, I think in, in, I think this actually shows a bit more about Azula than it does about Tylee. Uh Because I think it shows that Azula knows her two friends in a way that she knows how to get them on board. Right. Um, she knows that in order to get Tylee to come with her, she's just going to have to make her career, her chosen <laughs> career, as untenable as possible. 
And I bet you she probably just knows. May's probably bored wherever she is. Well, she yeah. Join me, whatever. Yeah, Tylee was the one she was going to have to try at, and May was just going to yeah. show up anyways. Well, I mean, it's so boring to be the conquering nation. <laughs> I guess. I just, every, that whole introduction to May is kind of great. Mm-hmm. And it says kind of a lot about just the whole world in general, because it's a Fire Nation family who's been appointed the governor of Omashu. Mm-hmm. And it's not that they're horrible people. They're not evil with, like, a capital E the way Ozai is. They're just bureaucrats, essentially. You know? And I think the episode goes a long way in humanizing them, too, especially because of their little son. Oh, Um, right. Yeah, the whole storyline with with the Uh son and, it, you know, they're they're just bureaucrats. They're cogs in in a system. Um, You know, they're complicit in it, but they're not, like, horrible people. Right. Um... But yeah, I just love that whole introduction where she's just like, ugh, nothing happens here. (laughs) And then there's that attack that Aang, like, foils. I mean, we're jumping around here a lot, but he gets blamed for it. And as soon as the fighting stops, which she's heavily involved in, she immediately goes back to... sigh. Yeah. (laughs) Just... (sighs) No one's gonna die anymore. It's really back to my boring life. Yeah. So I I really do love them and I love their little mean girl trio. I love I love the the genuine affection such as it is that we see between them. Mm-hmm. You know that as as much as Azula is capable of feeling affection, she feels it for these girls. Right. And um <laughs> you know, I love that that we get a sense of that history. We don't know what it is yet, but it's clearly there. And just the the ways in which they all complement each other. So based on what we've seen in this episode, my assumption is that May and Tylee are not benders. Uh, but Correct. They both are Correct, yes. incredible fighters, even without that skill. Tylee's obviously got... Um, a lot of acrobatic stuff and then seems really um, accomplished in hand-to-hand combat, kind of the way that she takes out Katara and, um, you know, injures her arm so that she's unable to bend. And May Lee, or May, oh, I'm going to keep doing that this whole episode. It's really, I'm so sorry to everyone. (laughs) I'm just going to keep doing that and I can't uh, separate it. But hopefully by next week I'll have it sorted out in my head. Um, May is Batman, basically. She's just got, like, a million, like, <laughs> like trigger weapons on her. One of them times. even does look a lot like, like a Batarang, like, and she doesn't bring that out right away either. She's got a bunch of darts and arrows and shit, and then, like, later it's a Batarang. Yeah, that's gonna be heavy, is all I can think. It's, like, walking around with, like, a full armory under your robes. Um, but they're both really skilled. I mean, obviously, Azula would not ask for their assistance or their company if they weren't useful. And so, you know, but I like that they're not benders, and I like that they each have a specific talent that is also kind of in line with their personality. You know, Tylee is very, like, bubbly and happy and wonderful and flipping, and, you know, and May is just very bored and sullen and just shoots things 
<laughs> it's pretty great. I really like them, and I am glad to know that they'll be sticking around. Um, they were, they were really great. I liked them a lot. And then the other stuff that we've got going on is our heroes, Aang and Katara and Sokka, who, so at the end of the second episode, they arrive at Omashu and realize that it's been occupied by the Fire Nation. And so Katara and Sokka are... Are, are upset about that loss, but are willing to say, you know, okay, we have to move on. You have to learn from someone else. We obviously can't go in there. You know, we've, we've got to keep going. And Aang says, no, no, we have to go in because, you know, I have to find out what happened. And they try to like talk him out of it and, and explain to him how like strategically it's not, you know, the best idea and it's just a city and whatever. And, Meanwhile, Aang eventually says it himself, but meanwhile, I'm like, this is his only friend. Like, from his yeah. previous life, this is the only living person that he knew before he met the two of you. Like, obviously, he's gonna go and see what happened, and he essentially says as much. He's like, it's about my friend, it's not about, you know, whatever else. Um, oh, before we get too far uh, into yeah. that story... Um, Let's just talk about how they get into the city. Um, the secret passageway, which was basically like a torrent of sewage just pouring out, which Aang is airbending around him, and Katara is waterbending around her, and Sokka has encephalitis or something in the back. The thing that I, I wrote that down too, my comment was, Sokka, close your right. mouth. Because <laughs> he's like, ah, ah, and I was like, close your mouth. Like, how how were the Pentapox the bigger concern in that situation? I thought they were cute, though. Yeah. They were adorable. Pentapus. And I and love I that was... you tickle them to release them. You do, like, the little nudgy. <laughs> and they've got five legs, so they're Pentapus. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was so cute. Mm-hmm. That was adorable. That whole thing was really cute and about how it's just so, so clearly a made-up illness. But everyone in the Fire Nation is like, oh, I think I've heard like, of that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cousin I have a cousin who died yeah. of it. <laughs> we should yeah. evacuate the city. <laughs> it's just because, like, no one wants to admit that they don't know what you're talking about. Right. So everybody's like, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that sounds like a thing. Yeah, for sure. Which... And then I love when they're when they're all leaving, you know, it's, like, basically, like, just full-on zombie mode. Yeah, <laughs> the, and they have, like, a zombie like, lesson beforehand. <laughs> Um, it's like shot of the like dead. <laughs> yeah. Um, I like that that joke of, oh, I think I've heard of that. Because that works on a few levels. Because like, that does seem like an occupying civilization or whatever would be like, have their head that far up their own ass that no one would want to admit they didn't know something because they're the occupiers. Like, obviously they have military might and all this great civilization and stuff. Um and I don't, I don't know, that's, like, exactly the kind of stupid joke that I feel like would get passed around in that, that world, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and especially with diseases, you know? They might not have it at the Fire Nation, but they right. have it here in the Earth Kingdom. It's and they like... probably already look down on the Earth Kingdom anyways. Like, people who make fire are cleaner and cooler looking than people who move dirt. 
<laughs> is that your own Earth Kingdom uh, self self consciousness coming through? My yeah, that's that's what it is. <laughs> my self hating Earth Kingdomness. <laughs> you dirt mover. Yep, dirt mover. That's me. Yeah, it's um, yeah, the whole. I mean, so. They go through the sewers, and they find the pentapuses, and they, you know, get chased down by May and her daggers and whatnot, and they fall through the floor kind of and escape, and are, they fall through, and they, like, land among the rebels, right? The rebels are all underground. I think the impression was that the rebels, because, okay, so the way it happens is the rebels are getting ready to attack May and her family, and Aang foils it. And so they end up fighting May, and I think, because it looks to me as though the floor under them got earthbent. Mm. Yeah. And so I thought I it was the resistance that saved pulled them, them away. Yeah, I, see, I think I that's see. what's up. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, and then Aang learns through the leader of the rebellion that Bumi willingly stepped aside essentially he surrendered he said i'm not going to do anything to fight or resist you know and that's confusing and disappointing and i guess i mean we are really jumping around a lot today but that's okay i don't mind so we find out eventually there's a whole big battle scene which i'm sure we'll talk about in depth later because it's really cool but just since we're jumping around um when ang finally has a moment alone with boomy and they've escaped azula and ang realizes that boomy can earthbend which is how they escape he's with, a, his chin, right. with his chin with his chin right. he's like he's encased in like essentially what looks like a casket it's really weird yeah it's like an iron casket out yeah. And it's metal so that he can't bend, you know, and he can't move his arms and he's enclosed except for his head. But he is bending the earth with his chin. He's like doing these like thrusts with his chin and it shoots up pillars of earth um, that helps them escape. And Aang, of course, is really confused. He's like, you, you bent without your arms. You've been able to bend this whole time and you never did anything. And why did you betray your people? And... Boomy essentially tells him that the key to earthbending is what they call neutral gin, and that it's about listening and waiting and striking at the right time. And so he's sort of willingly allowed himself to be captured so that he will be in the right place when the time arises to hit back. And I don't know. What do you guys think about that whole thing? The fact that he can earthbend with his chin. Well, that's really that cool. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I, I, I noted that too because I was like, he's earthbending with his chin. Yeah. His chin. So the fight scene that precedes this is them sliding down the shoots of um, Omashu and being chased mm-hmm. by um, Azula. And I just love the way that when they finally reach the bottom and they've escaped her, he stops by, like, making a little, like, quarter pipe ramp, like, chin bending it or whatever, and he comes to a perfect (laughs) stop. He, like, 
comes to a perfect stop and twists around and, like, is facing Aang the right way. <laughs> the the whole neutral Jing thing, I tried to look that up to see if it was a, a real philosophy. I really couldn't find that much information about it. Um, I think it is important when he says, you know, you need to find somebody who listens uh-huh. and and reacts because earthbending is really about, I think, reacting to the world around you as opposed to being really offensive about it, I guess, like going on the offensive or taking action in that way. If you think about it, it makes sense. Elementally, earth is being rooted and, and not moving. Right. I mean... I think it could have been more elegantly imparted. Um, it does make Boomy seem really badass, but it also, you're kind of like, what was the point of this then? <laughs> right. Yeah. I feel like he should have, Boomy himself at least should have, like, spread that to his, you know. Yeah, his get the people. word out a little bit. Because <laughs> like, you're kind of screwing let them everyone. know in your that city. there's, like, a master plan instead of right. them all just thinking that you. Because the impression that we're given. Is not even so much that he's a betrayer, but just that he's crazy. Yeah. You know, like yeah, he's. I'm gonna do absolutely nothing. Yeah, <laughs> like you're you're kind of meant to believe, like okay, he's just lost it. He's just nuts. You know, and so I think maybe if there was a larger plan, you could have told your subjects about it. And maybe they wouldn't have told Aang because he's an outsider and they don't trust him and so they don't want to tell him. But, like, just have them know what's going on. I don't know, because I don't even think Boomy has a plan. I think it's just Boomy being like, meh, whatevs. I'm just gonna... I've lived a hundred plus years. I'll probably live through this. It's fine. I'll just pick my moment. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, I, I do think it could have been executed. I mean, if you actually think about it, the plot of this episode is really simple mm-hmm. and it doesn't actually move the plot forward at all well i mean it looks real good in comparison to the next episode we're gonna cover so <laughs> <laughs> the this episode does a lot of setting up more than it actually does any moving because what it basically if you think about it what it does is ang goes to amashu and leaves with nothing new Mm-hmm. <laughs> he does. He he doesn't actually leave with anything. He doesn't leave with any new knowledge, really. You know, yeah. he just kind of gets told by Boomy, "You need to find another earth bending master." He gets the phrase, reasons. "You you need to find someone who waits and, li- and, and listens, listens. Yeah. before they yeah. act." But that's still not much. Yeah, I mean, I understand from a story perspective and from the writer's perspective why you want to take Boomy out of the equation because to be perfectly honest I'm while he himself is a formidable bender he is not I, I can't imagine sitting through like episodes or scenes of like him teaching Aang like he's so erratic and he's he's such a caricature and I understand why we wanted to revisit him because we met him in season one and he's the most powerful earthbender that we know. So when we know that Aang needs to master earthbending, it makes sense to bring Boomy back because he's a character that we're familiar with. But at the same time, it's not... I don't know what the ideal earthbending master tutor will look like yet, but I do know that 
Boomy is not he's too he was set up as too comedic for us to take him seriously. Mm-hmm. And so I, I understand the need to undo that. You know, like, to get him out of the way so that he can't be that earthbender that Aang is looking for. It's also a little bit too tidy. Like, oh, he needs a teacher. Well, he'll just go to that guy he used to be friends with his entire life and who happens to be a crazy awesome earthbender. Yeah, so, like, I get... I understand why we need to tell this story that happens in this episode, but I agree that it just is kind of... Pointless. Like, we could have done the same thing by coming up on Omashu and seeing that it was, you know, destroyed and then moving on. (laughs) It's, yeah, and the whole thing about the the philosophy of neutral Jing, I felt like it also could have been imparted better. (laughs) You know, like, it's, it's, it's like if Aang is talking to, to Bumi and... You know, he's like, you know what neutral Jing is, and you know, and you have this lesson about, yeah, there's positive and negative or whatever. Um, but I don't know. There's something about the fact, like, if Boomy just says, "Look, you know, when you're in a state of neutral Jing, you are saving your energy or power for the opt- opportune moment, and this is just not the opportune moment," is somehow a much better explanation than what we actually got in this show. Which is kind of, like, convoluted and almost a little bit too complicated and hand-wavy to really just be like, this is just not the right time for me. Which I feel like as an explanation is so simple and elegant, I would have been like, alright, cool. Because <laughs> he's clearly proven he's a badass, he can earthbend with his chin, so he's just waiting for the right time. That makes sense to me, but it just it didn't come across that way, which is, I think, why it bothers me. It felt more yeah. like a cop-out. Like, it felt like... Yeah, like it, it felt more like a yeah, cop-out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was a little, it was a little weird. So, since we're jumping all over the place, mm-hmm. uh, let's jump to the baby storyline. Yes. So, the, the Earth Kingdom Rebellion, and it, it, it's a little bit confusing, and again, you know, kind of hand-wavy, like JJ said, because... It looks like it's merely the Earth Kingdom resistance that is doing kind of the zombie pentapox plague yeah, it's walk the out. whole population, yeah. And then later, somebody, I think it's Azula, says something about, like, you just let the entire population go out there or whatever. So it's, like, a little unclear as to what is actually happening. But during the zombie walk exit, uh, the little, the, the baby of the... Fire Nation governor and his wife, May's little brother, Tom Tom, mm-hmm. escapes. That there's like this whole crazy hijinks with him chasing Momo and flying around and all this stuff, and he, you know, falls out a window and down a ramp and crazy baby hijinks all over the place. But eventually he winds up on the ground and he, you know, toddles after the resistance and no, he just kind of gets lost in the shuffle. No one really notices until the Earth Kingdom escapees are counting their ranks to make sure that everyone made it out safely and they have one more number than they had been planning on and they have this you know, they've inadvertently kidnapped <laughs> this uh, Fire Nation baby um, the, the process of getting the baby from, you know its house or whatever, the governor's palace or whatever, to um, the Earth 
soldiers is pretty much just one of those old, like, I think they're Popeye cartoons, where, like, the <laughs> little baby just somehow crawls through an entire construction site, and, like... Yeah, yeah. Everything is yeah. happening to, like, terribly to whoever's, cha- you know, Popeye's getting knocked around and stuff. I was actually thinking of Buttons and Mindy from Animaniacs. Yep, it's that, too. Because <laughs> Mindy's just, like, blithely going on, uh-huh. and poor Buttons is having a heart attack mm-hmm. trying to prevent her from dying. It's that. It's just, like, all these series of fortuitous accidents and things that happen that make sure that the baby's okay, even though it's, like, constantly on the edge of danger. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, I have to say, even while knowing and understanding those references at the time and understanding that this is meant to be, like, comedic effect, this entire sequence was way too stressful for me. <laughs> I can't watch it anymore. Like, I can't, I can't, like, even knowing, like, nothing bad is going to happen to this baby, like, it's fine, and look, it's referencing all these old cartoons with, like, the axe swinging, and the baby crawls through, and it's all fine, you know? Like, even knowing all that, I was, I honestly felt my stress hormone levels rise <laughs> watching this cartoon baby, because parenthood just destroys you, I guess. I and turns know. you into a crazy person who can't watch a cartoon. It, I mean, it was also. I was a crazy person who couldn't watch a cartoon before I had a child. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that's yeah. All right. I also found it kind of pointless as a storyline, though. Like, it, I it was kind of like because at the end, it's not like the Fire Nation does anything to really get the baby back. Right. Aang just kind of drops Tom Tom off, right. you know, right. like he, he comes back and he's like, here he is, and then like leaves. Which, so there's no consequences to that action either. Exactly, which you knew that he was going to do anyway, because it's Aang. And I feel like there were there were two moments separately in the show where I thought they were going to do something of consequence with the baby storyline, and then they didn't. And the first one is when they're with the Earth Kingdom Rebellion, and they're looking at the baby, and Katara's like, <laughs> well, first, Sokka has the amazing, the amazing line, no, bad Fire Nation baby. <laughs> oh, right, yeah, right. <laughs> and then... And he was, like, sucking then, on a, a machete, and a, then yeah. <laughs> I know. gave it I back like, to the Katara, kid. Would you really, would you really give that to a baby? Right? I, I think it, it's an actual weapon. <laughs> I think it had, like, a little guard on it. There was, like, a little blue oh, guard good. thing on it, I think. Um, still. still, totally. Um, and Katara's, you know, cooing over him. Oh, he's so cute, and you know, whatever. And then the a member of the resistance is like, "Well, you won't think he's so cute when he grows up, and you know, is you know has that weapon is really in his hand, and he's attacking you all, you know, as an adult member of the Fire Nation or whatever." And you know that was a sobering moment and that's always that 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 this is like this like time tra- if you could travel back in time and kill Hitler as a child and prevent him from right, doing right. what he did you know would you do it and the you know it, it's that whole kind of thing where you you don't know what a child will grow up to be or do and they haven't made their choices yet and so can you condemn them condemn them for what choices they haven't yet made and may not make you know, so, like, it's this whole big philosophical thing, and I thought the episode was going to turn on that question. I thought that the resistance was then going to want to 
you know, keep him or take him away or, you know, perhaps kill right. him. Foster Although him in right. the Earth Kingdom or whatever. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, and then it would, you know, be Aang or Katara or whoever who would be like, no, he belongs to this family. We have to get him back. And that would kind of be the point of conflict in the episode. But he instead, they just kind of bring that up and then it's like, okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> thanks for bringing it up. Like, we're, we're going to move on Here's now. Here's food for thought. Let's move on. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then there's another moment toward the end when the three girls, Azula and May and Tylee, yes, I got their names right. Um, when the, the three of them go to make the trade because the, the governor is going to trade Boomy for his son. And so they go to make the trade and they're about to do it. And then Azula says, you know, it occurs to me that we're going to trade this really powerful earthbending king for a baby, and that doesn't really seem fair, does it? And May's like, hmm, no, it doesn't really seem fair. Forgetting and the fact that it's off. her little brother or sister. Oh yeah, she she does not care at all. At all. And I don't know if I don't know if she doesn't care because she's so confident that they're going to win that she assumes they're going to recoup her brother anyway, or she just truly doesn't care. I think you could kind of read either one into it. Um, but, you know, she's like, yeah, no, it's off or whatever. And so then I thought, okay, well, now Aang, Katara, and Sokka are going to foster this baby because they're not going to give him back to these crazy people and there's going to be a fight and they're going to have to flee. And so they'll just, you know, go. And now they'll have this baby in season two, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) TV shows love adding a random baby. Um, you know, and it didn't go there either. And I'm glad that it didn't go there but again it just seemed like this weird thing where like the baby was going to become an important piece of conflict in the show and then it didn't so and really you know the whole prisoner trade-off for boomy is pointless too because like jj said he just chooses to say right he just to say. he's like yeah whatever yeah so it's like ang could have like they could have done that whole thing and had that conversation by with them like breaking into the prison and trying to free boomy and boomy being like no i won't go with you you know like there were just so many other more logical ways that this could have played out but i don't know it just it played out in this particular way which doesn't really make a ton of sense um, yeah, I think the charm, because I do like this episode a lot, but yeah. I think the charm is really because of May and Tylee, yeah. mm-hmm. and what it what it actually shows about Azula as well, about that sort of, you can read so much into that relationship Azula has with the other two girls, and what it says about her, and their upbringing, and it also goes a long way to humanize Azula, I mean, she's still terrifying as all get out, but like, it you know, she's a girl. She's a girl with friends from school, and yes, they're all highly skilled, probably can kill you in their sleep, but, you know, like, they're they're still girls, and, you know, like, there's something about that I just found really charming, and I really liked a lot. I really like it, too, because, like I said, it does feel genuine, you know? The, what Whatever affection looks like for Azula, and I don't know what it looks like yet, but I, I believe that however affection manifests in her, that she genuinely feels it toward these two girls. And um, I love female friendships anyway, and I love female friendships being represented in fiction. And I love that they're all 
so different and yet their bond is believable and that the history is is evident that these people have known each other for a long time. I love, you know, toward the end, they're um, heading out and, you know, the three of them are just kind of chatting and Tylee kind of gives May, you know, like a nudge about like, oh, it'll be fun to see Zuko again. And May kind of <laughs> smiles. And I love, I love that I don't know how to interpret that <laughs> There's a lot of things that could be wrapped up in that smile because I don't know that I take a smile from a girl like May as something positive. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, because you could certainly read it as Zuko and May have some kind of a romantic history or it could be something much darker and more sinister than that. Like, I like that there's... I like that they're clearly setting us up for something, and I like that I don't quite know what it is. Um, so I loved that. I thought, you know, those the three of them really are the highlight of the episode, for sure. Yeah, I agree. Although, the bending was cool. I thought all the fight sequences in this episode were pretty cool. Like, the new stuff that you can see Katara do with her water bending. Yeah, she did a lot of, like... Like one arm making a shield out of the the water mm-hmm. and like turning it into ice all in one movement stuff that was really and like pulling things up and not just like water but just yeah like, she like pulled know, up the wood planks and... which I actually had to watch yeah. again because the first time I didn't understand what was happening and so I actually had to go back and watch that little scene again where I was like where's this wood coming from and then saw that she like pushed it up with the water. Yeah, just, like, cool things that she kind of, like, surfs around, and she, like, turns things into ice kind of instantaneously, and it melts as she needs it to, and so you can really see, I think, Katara really improve her waterbending, but I also think this is the first time we've seen Aang use waterbending Mm -hmm. in a context that's not him learning to waterbend. Or with Katara. Sometimes he'll do it, like, in in concert with her, but... He was off on his own, and I did notice that. And it seemed pretty seamless. It was like that was the the most convenient thing at the time, and so he mm-hmm. he used that. So it seems like he's really starting to integrate that into his style of fighting, mm-hmm. which I really yeah, because he like pulls it up from the well, and he like freezes the chain, and then smashes it with his stick, uh-huh. like. It's he's using the resources at ha- at hand that he has and that he knows, and I, I I did like that. Like I thought that was cool that, as opposed to just relying on airbending, he's now taking the skills that he's learned and he's using those. So I thought that was cool. Like I thought the fight sequences were really well animated and you know really really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, the story wrapping around this episode is kind of was cheesy. You know, we've got holes everywhere, but yeah. it, you know what? There's a lot of things I liked about it anyway. I know. <laughs> I did, too. I, I did like it a lot. The other thing I noticed, too, that I loved, of course, about the battle sequences, you know, so Tylee comes in and she strikes Katara really strategically at what I'm assuming are nerve points or some kind of pressure points or something, you know, that would uh, render her arms temporarily useless, which is why she can't really bend and she tries and the water kind of flops up and falls back down. And... 
one of them says, you know, oh, well, how are you going to fight without your bending? Like, aww. And Sokka just whips her with the, right. um, with the boomerang, and he's, he's like, like, I do pretty well. I do yeah. all right. <laughs> Not a I problem for me. He's great. I love him. I also love that Sokka is the one who carries the baby around the whole time. <laughs> he's got the little baby, and he's, like, the, it's like nuzzling it and, and, like, chewing on him and whatever, and he's just like, yep, I got a baby. <laughs> I just loved that. It would be so so easy to just give the baby to Katara, and I love that they gave the baby to Sokka. It was pretty great. So um, I also think it makes sense. Oh yeah. Go oh, ahead. I was just gonna say real quick. You know how um, all the bending in this is based on actual fighting styles. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, Ty Lee's fighting style, and I don't know that they've given it a name or whatever, but it's based on kind of a legendary fighting style called Dim Mach, which is, I think it works sort of on the same principles as um, acupuncture, where there are like invisible lines on your body, where if you strike someone just so, you know, you... It, yeah, it blocks their energy flow right. and, and renders them useless, yeah. Um, I don't know that they, <laughs> they don't call it that, I don't think, but... Um, I think later in the series, they refer to what Tylee does as chi blocking. Oh, right. Mm. Um, I think, because that's, I, I wrote, I'm, I don't know if it's here or if it's in Korea. Right. Because the whole idea that if you're a non-bender, but you can block someone's bending, is kind of a cool idea that, you know, if you're not, a, if you're a non-bender, it doesn't make you powerless. Mm-hmm. It make you know, you just have different tools to use. Um, and I think they call it chi blocking in this series. Not yet, but it's the first time you see Tylee do it. Mm-hmm. I think for sure, it's pretty cool. It's yeah, it's, it was really um, cool. It's yeah. a thing that shows up in other um, other cartoons. I've seen it in a few things. Uh, there's a, I think first season Simpsons episode where instead of going to karate, uh, Bart goes to the arcade next door and instead of learning actual karate, he just copies what he saw in the karate video game. And it was like this kind of a thing at his sister waving his pinky and thumb around. Yeah, that was that. That was the Simpsons take on that. It also showed up in a Batman the Animated Series thing. Yep. It's, yep. It's also, I think, where the idea of the Vulcan neck pinch comes from. Probably. Um, although oh. I know where the story of that comes from, actually. But, the you know, the idea is that, like, there's a certain nerve point that you hit and it causes pain or numbness or whatever. Although I know that the the story, I think, is that both Leonard Nimoy and William Shatner had gotten so drunk the night before they were they showed up and sat so hungover that they couldn't do the choreographed fight scene. And Leonard Nimoy was like, "I'm just gonna hit you here, <laughs> your neck, and you can follow." <laughs> that sounds pretty um, likely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it does sound really good. That's pretty great. In Kill Bill, there's the five-point palm exploding heart. Yeah, it's that same thing. Yeah, Yeah, it's it's not without precedent, for sure. It's definitely (laughs) in in people's consciousness. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I just want to say, too, like, this is, like, so I really love Sokka, and I kind of feel weird about admitting this, but it's like, if Sokka were a real guy, I would totally date him. Oh, 100%, (laughs) absolutely. Unquestionably. He's a total hottie. I was like, you're, you're everything, Sokka. I love you. <laughs> I was going to say 
that last time when we saw him shirtless with his hair all floppy, but I was like, this is a cartoon. Oh, yeah, this is a cartoon <laughs> child, and this is unacceptable to say out loud. So I didn't, but I'm glad you went there first. Cause I was, that, was that the episode that opened with him floating around on a giant leaf? Yeah, I think so. I was jealous of the leaf. I want to float around <laughs> on a big damn leaf. Mike's like, I can participate in this conversation. I have a way to contribute. I know things about stuff. <laughs> nice. Well, you can have the leaf, and JJ and I will share Sokka. <laughs> we'll all be happy. Sounds kind of like a great deal. Is that Sokka's attractiveness is not is also an idea shared in universe. Mm-hmm. Like, kind of in the background, like, especially in the later two seasons, you see girls just kind of being like, hey, he's he's kind of attractive. And so I'm like, I'm, I'm glad that, like, like, I don't know if it's the show or the animators that just acknowledge that Sokka's attractive. Like, mm-hmm. they just leave it there. <laughs> I'm on board. I like it. Yeah, yeah. It, it, well, the floppy hair is like the Dimitri from Anastasia thing. I don't yes. know why. He's totally a hot cartoon and no one can explain why. And I just assumed it was the hair. <laughs> I, I don't know, Anastasia. <laughs> <laughs> you must have, because at all those sleepovers at Jess Eaton's house, I know we watched it like four or five times during those. So you've seen it, you just don't care. <laughs> oh, I, I'm sorry, I misspoke. I don't care about <laughs> Anastasia. <laughs> Thank you for correcting me, though. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) All right, somehow we've gotten way off track. Um, I think we've pretty much talked about everything that I have notes for in this episode because there is no Zuko in this episode. None at at all. all. He's only referred to, but he's not shown. Yeah, I was not super happy about that. I like that I love Azula, and... Um, she was great, and so it kind of made up for it a little bit. But there was no Zuko and no Iroh, so I think we hit just about everything. Is there anything that either of you wanted to mention that we didn't get to yet? Aside um, from, like, the voice acting and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, like, I have um, some small notes. Um, first off, the city got renamed New Ozai at the end, mm-hmm. which is And they were, like, mentioning. building that big statue to him, right? There was, like, all the scaffolding. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and um, May has, like, pointy black talon fingernails, which look that much scarier when she's, like, hurling darts at you, like, at your face. Um, and This is why May was me in high school. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, when Azula showed up in the dressing room, I think, after the circus show... Didn't she give Ty Lee black flowers? Like she instead of a bouquet of like roses or whatever you give performers, it was like black death flowers or something. <laughs> I couldn't tell if they were actually just burned, like burned blossoms or something. They may have been that too. Yeah, it was just like just just like threw it on her dressing room table. It was like congrats, you know, great show. <laughs> She's like the universe has told me to change careers. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, they're so great. I do. I do love the three of them a lot. I think they're great. Um, yeah. Other than oh, I wrote down. This has nothing to do with the episode, really. But someone gets a messenger hawk. Oh, for the deal or whatever. Oh, yeah. And I just wrote down. This is Avatar Owl Post. <laughs> <laughs> 
because <laughs> it is. They use hawks. My only other real note was the se- the line was like, "No, bad Fire Nation, baby." <laughs> My favorite thing is that Katara literally backhands her brother. She's like, "Whack!" <laughs> <laughs> thought that was great. And then they give the machete <laughs> back to the baby. Mm-hmm. I don't understand why. Um, my only other small thing was that Boomi's name in Sanskrit actually means Earth. Oh. Huh. Which I don't know, because I, yeah, we, I didn't mention it the last time we saw Boomi, but I was like, that's what his name is. It means Earth in Sanskrit. Um, as far as the, the name's it's hard to tell what they would mean unless you've seen the Chinese characters right now. Uh-huh. Mei is typically beauty. That's like what Mei. But again, it would depend on what the character What's is. What's Tai Li? That's, that's the thing, though. You'd have to see the characters to see oh. what it actually means. So, But Mei is typically beauty. Um, that's typically a girl's name, anyway, for, for East uh-huh. Asia. Um, but that's about it. I don't really have anything else, really, aside from... Just liked it. Yeah. <laughs> I like it, too. Just oh. really enjoyable. What are the voices? Um, okay, so... The advice to form a more elite team for Azula came from the creepy old lady twins Lo and Lee. <gasps> oh, they, do they have names? I was they, just gonna say, names, do these yeah. creepy aunties have names? Yeah, Lo and Lee. Um, and it, that's played by an actress named Takayo Fisher, Takayo Fisher. Um, and her two biggest credits were Billy's secretary, Suzanne in Moneyball, and (laughs) Mistress Ching from Pirates of the Caribbean World's End, from when they had that big council thing. Um, next is, let's see, May is played by a girl named Cricket Lee. Who, what a wonderful name. Right? Um, Cricket. <laughs> her, most of her credits are uh, the video game franchise Red Faction and Lost Planet. Um, oh, the Resistance leader is Fred Tatascori, who is... He's one of those voice actors that's in everything to some degree. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. He, let's see... He's voiced the Hulk, Solomon Grundy, and Bane in multiple things. Um... He's voiced both Obadiah Stane and Kevin Flynn from Iron Man and Tron, respectively. So a bunch of Jeff Bridges things. And uh, he was Baird in the Gears of War games. Hmm. Oh, wait, I, I wrote one more down because it made me laugh. He was the voice of Sam Jackson in Team America World Police. <laughs> <laughs> um... <laughs> Uh, the governor, uh, Governor Yukano, is played by Paul Eiding. Eiding. Um, he is known for... He played John Locke in the Lost video game, which I just discovered was a thing. There's and a Lost video game? Yeah. yeah. I was like... <laughs> what do you do? Nothing for seven seasons? I, I don't know. You solve pointless puzzles that go nowhere? And have nothing to do with the show. I'm really um, confused. He also voices the gran- Grandpa Max on Ben 10. Hmm. And who do we have left? Oh, Ty Lee is Olivia Hack, who is the 
Cindy Brady from the live action Brady Bunch. The original one? The one from the 90s? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, okay, okay. Yeah, she was in. Oh, and she was also, I wrote this down for you, Cal, uh, Tana Shrick in eight episodes of Gilmore Girls, if that means something to you. Who did she play in Gilmore Girls? Tana, T A N A, Shrick, S C H R I C K. No, I cannot remember who that is. And I've watched Gilmore Girls a lot. My my favorite uh, credit is this last one, and it's for a lot of reasons. One, I like the actress, and two, I just like that they gave her a voice credit. The voice of Tom Tom is <laughs> voiced by Tara Strong, who. Oh, I love her. Yeah, she's great. Um, she was Timmy in Fairly Odd, Odd Parents, Bubbles on the Powerpuff Girls. Um, she is the originator of the role of Harley Quinn. Harley Quinn didn't exist in the comic books until she voiced her in the cartoon. Is that really She's true? She's also Twilight That is Sparkle. absolutely true. Yeah. Yep. Harley Quinn originated in the TV show and not in the comics. But I she was so popular, they, yep. they added her back into the comics. Yeah. Um, she was Raven on Teen Titans, and she's about to be Barbara Gordon in the animated version of The Killing Joke, which is really awesome. Because it's super dark and screwed up, and I think they're gonna like make it a rated R cartoon. I, I have thoughts about that, which we can get to later. Okay. <laughs> she was also the voice of Twilight Sparkle from My Little Pony: Friendship Is Magic. Right. Uh, <laughs> I went with the ones I'm, I know a little bit better, but yes, she also did that, as well as like 450 um, other things. She has a huge she resume. She has a lot of credits. Yeah, she has. If you know her voice timbre, when you can recognize Tara Strong's voice in whatever she's been in, but she's great. I love her. Yeah, and that's awesome. uh, that's it for that episode. Okay, nice. So, shall we move on? Sure. Yeah, let's move on to episode four, the swamp. <laughs> The swamp. <laughs> Is my the face most, giving it away? <laughs> I, or your Eeyore tone of voice. Nobody right, wants to go to the friends. swamp. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> um, our heroes crash in a sinister swamp where they see visions and battle vines. Meanwhile, Iroh sings for his supper. Yeah. That's, all I got. that's about it. That's all I got. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, hey, I, I don't dig this episode. I like about half of it a lot, and then some of it I don't. Which half? <laughs> well, I only like the Zuko and Iroh bits. Yeah, me too, yeah. Well, I don't hate, I mean, it, it, they're kind of shoehorning it in a little bit, but there's a lot of, like, Buddha symbolism storytelling, like, the banyan tree sitting underneath that is, yeah, like, part reaching enlightenment, yeah. Right, yeah. um, connecting with you know, future stuff. I did like, oh, one of the things I genuinely like, not even like, I'm going to feel defensive about it, is um, the hillbilly swamp benders. I freaking <laughs> love those guys. Come on. I do think they're funny. <laughs> I do think they're funny. Um, and the fact that like when they're introduced, there's they have like a banjo riff yep. and it sounds really close to deliverance. Uh-huh. Like, yeah. Really close. Well, their I names, mentioned that in my recap. The, the characters' names are... Tho and Do, which sound a lot to me like Bo and Duke, 
of the Dukes of Hazard. Yeah. Um, and they're also both voiced by the same guy. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I just, I don't know. I like them. I like that they were like stupid and they showed like, I, I don't know. I just really enjoyed that they were, they demonstrated a different version of water bending that we're probably not going to, they're not going to be a lot of swamp benders in the future. You know what I mean? It's just like a branch of water bending. You really didn't like it that much. You're making no, a terrible face. No, I really face. didn't like it. <laughs> This is what we lose by doing podcasts. We we lose my horrific facial expressions because I have no poker face whatsoever. I just ah, I mean, I guess the the humor of the swamp waterbenders just kind of missed for me. I can I can see like how it's funny, but it just wasn't funny to me. That's amazing. The, <laughs> the, <laughs> And like I'm I'm confused about a lot of stuff. So like okay, so let's just let's okay. <laughs> let's talk about the the dude, I don't know his name, the dude inside the vine suit. His Did name, name was Hugh. Hugh. Let's talk about Hugh for a minute. <coughs> So, they're in this swamp that they kind of crash land in, and, you know, Sokka's hacking away at vines, and Aang is increasingly like, you shouldn't do that, you know, and we get this eerie, like, the swamp is alive sort of a thing, and it's very creepy, and eventually there's an extended, I mean, very long fight scene between the three of them and this swamp monster and who is like regenerating as they cut him his vines are growing back and it's like you know and so I'm like okay this is like the spirit of the swamp the way we saw the forest spirit before you know this is whatever and it isn't it's a dude who is <laughs> who is bending the water in the plant Sorry, that's just... <laughs> like... <laughs> Everybody take a drink, <laughs> because <laughs> this is the section of the podcast where Kelly has problems with the universe. Um, no. Like, no, I'm sorry. Because, no, I don't care that <laughs> plants are... Good argument are half, so far, keep you going. Know, are are predominantly made of water, like, that's fine. Then, theoretically, you can bend people, because there's water in people. JJ's eyebrows just went up, so that's going to happen later. So I have issues with that, and we haven't even got to it yet. <laughs> At least they're going to be consistent. Um, I Why mean, is that a problem, though? Why? It's like well, your thing with lightning bending, which I think is hilarious, Lightning by the way. is not fire. <laughs> It's not. It's not. So here's the thing. So you have the strange definition of fire as just being this thing. Of Lightning what? is electricity. It's not Which fire. Which is also a form of fire. No. <laughs> if you re reduce it to heat and 
pa- if you reduce it to heat and energy, that's exactly what electricity is as well, I might add. Oh, <laughs> no. I know. I can't accept it. No. It's a you didn't thing. really complain about Aang breathing ice on the lock and breaking that. Well, I don't want to sound like a broken record all the time, but I have a note about it, if you must know. <laughs> <laughs> and Katara does it, too, <laughs> later on. <laughs> but, okay, so here's the thing. I am more accepting of the bending the water in the plants thing if it does turn out to be true that later on we are gonna bend some people which is some fucked up shit my friends but jj's (laughs) little eyebrows are like going crazy here you guys can't see it but they're they're moving so it is now my assumption that they're doing more code happen yeah it's my it's now my assumption that that's eventually gonna happen and so at least that makes things consistent like that's a universe rule that I can get around and fine because my assumption was going to be that they would never do that I was just like they're just going to bend plants but nobody's ever going to bend people really 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 but if that happens then I guess fine we can bend water in any form including in our fellow man I mean if they're going to bend plants it stands to reason that they would be swamp plants I mean that's which is most more water. Yeah, more water than most. Other other plants, yeah. Right, right. I mean, like, <coughs> I mean, based on the assumption that I now have of the future of the series, fine. Like, okay. <laughs> but when watching this initially and believing that they would never go so far as to bend people, it just seemed dumb. It seemed like a way to deliberately make the audience think, like, this is the spirit of the swamp, and oh no, it's just some guy who's doing some stuff. Like, I just, like, why? Why? It was just, oh, it was very frustrating I mean, I don't disagree with you on that, that it was like, spirit of the swamp? No, it's a dude in a vine suit. And I was like... And granted, like, the whole bending the vines thing, I was like, Oh, whatever, I can accept it because whatever vines are mostly water. I can I can accept it on that level, but I was like, that's kind of pointless. I thought, I think that the writers were trying to tell you that the point of this episode was basically the huge brick of foreshadowing they've thrown at you about the vision that Aang sees. Right. Of the girl in the forest and who she is, you know, and he says, oh, I, if time is a construct, then I haven't met her yet. Mm-hmm. So, but it's so heavy handed. It's like a brick to the face, like foreshadowing. Boom. Yeah. And I was like, and that's kind of the whole point of the episode. I mean, there's stuff about listening and interconnectivity and some of these lessons Aang is slowly, you know, kind of taking to heart and that's fine. But, uh, yeah, I was kind of like, this episode's meh. I got a chuckle out of the, the swamp hicks, as I call them. Mm-hmm. Especially at the very end, it's like, oh, you waterbenders too? We must be kin. Right. And Katara's face is like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, so then, so then, like, it's minor in, complaint, in, in comparison to my notes about the vine bending. Uh, but my other note was that, so... I don't know that this is true because I have not been paying attention on that level. But I guess, even without paying attention to it, my general assumption has been, given that bending is tied to these specific movements and these specific styles of fighting or of movement, and given that we've seen 
Katara and Aang try to specifically master a certain sequence of movements to bend water in particular ways, <clears throat> my assumption has been that the the bending in terms of like what you make the elements do is uniquely tied to the movements that you yourself make so that anytime anyone wants to do the water whip which is like a bending move that we've heard on the show it will always look the same and anytime you know ang wants to do his air sphere the movement will always look the same like that has just been my assumption is that the movement is directly tied to the outcome but i haven't been paying attention to that so I don't have any evidence or textual like textual stuff in the show to tell me that that's true it's just been my assumption but then in this episode that moment that it's revealed that the hicks are waterbenders they're on their little boats in the swamp and they start like windmill propelling their arms and you know the wave kind of comes up and it pushes the boat forward and that's when you're like oh they're benders Later on, Katara uses that exact same move to send, like, water saw discs at the vine monster. And it was the same, like, it was physically the same motion. And so I'm like, well, now I don't understand. <laughs> so well, if you think about bending as a combination of physical moves and spirituality, it's, you know... Okay. I don't... There's like an extra dimension to bending that's not just the form because right. the, the form is the foundational move, but bending is a mystical you, quality. So. Yeah, I can I mean, I can accept that. But it you've got to do both it. the swish and the flick and say Wingardium Leviosa. <laughs> Leviosa. <laughs> Leviosa. You've got to say it right, or else you know you're not going to water bend shit. <laughs> So and so, those were my assumptions too. Is that it seemed like their water bend? So like, I had all, this whole episode just was like a constant state of me being like, "What the hell is going on?" Because when it's first revealed that they're waterbenders and they're doing that like propeller motion and it's really big and exaggerated, I was like, "Oh wow, these are people, you know, in the middle of nowhere essentially who have like evolved to be benders. Like these weren't." You know, these weren't people who were originally from one of the water tribes. They just manifested these powers, you know, in and of themselves. And it's going to be this whole, like, new bending thing, like, whatever. And it just, like, they were just like, nope, we're just some hick cousins who've been squirreled away in here. And we're still waterbenders. And, like, I thought the, I thought, like, the guy in the vine suit, when it was revealed that he was a guy... I don't know what I thought. I don't know if he was going to teach Aang stuff. I don't know. I just felt like he was going to end up being important and they were going to like, it just seemed, I don't know. That's, I will I say know. that they, um, that big fight scene with them was really cool looking. I thought that the, the water like saw blades Kataro kept sending mm -hmm. at the swamp monster were great. But as soon as he finds out that they're, he's, uh, Aang is the avatar, it turns on like a dime. Like, Oh, you're the avatar. Come with me. All right. <laughs> Don't mind the fact that I was just attacking right. you and your friends. We were all like, trying to murder each other. Earlier. Right. Yeah. Like, <laughs> the whole thing is just super weird. And then they go to that tree, and then it's like, this one tree is the entire swamp, just like the whole world is all of us, and everything's connected. And Okay, so let's talk about the girl. 
So Katara sees a vision of her mother. Sokka sees a vision of Yue. Aang sees a vision of a girl. Katara's mother is dead. Yue is dead. And then Aang says, oh, I've never met this girl, so we assume that she is someone that he will meet in the future. My first immediate thought, which I don't think is correct, is that she's his daughter. But I don't think that's true, because I don't think we're going to meet her daughter in the series. Who's, I'm sorry, who's daughter? Up that fast. Aang's. Oh, Okay. But yeah, we don't get the next. I'll I'll just put it out there. We do not get the next generation in this yeah. series. Yeah, I didn't think so because I was like, we're not. You know that we don't have enough time for that. But I was like, I don't know <laughs> if they'll do like a Harry Potter epilogue or what. I don't know. Um, and then initially, I thought she was somebody from an Avatar's previous life, so that Aang personally didn't know her, but in the Avatar state, he knew her in another life. But we kind of wipe that out too by being like oh he hasn't met her yet so I don't know that as of right now the show gives us any context for understanding who she actually is except that we're going to meet her at some point no you're not wrong yeah. I mean they don't yeah. they really don't give you they enough information it's yeah. a, a laughing girl standing next to a flying pig yeah and you never get a good shot of her. Like, you can't. She's always far away. Right. It. Those who've seen the show know who she is, but if, if you're coming to it without knowing, then you're kind of like, what is this? And that's exactly my problem with this episode, too, is that it's like a brick of foreshadowing to the face, but it doesn't give you any context or nuance or any real information aside from this is the next step that Aang has to take. And it doesn't even do that. Like, you know, it doesn't even say, this is the next step you need to take. You need to find this girl. It's just, you will meet her at some point in the future. Um, yeah. Oh. Like, the whole swamp thing was kind of like, hmm. I also... The Hicks are funny. I mean, I guess it's kind of the same story as the Hicks, but I also genuinely enjoyed the Appa and Momo adventure on their own together. I don't feel bad about that at all. Yeah. I love that Momo is like irritating Appa and he just slaps him with his own tail. Yeah. It's like, boom. Or like <laughs> Momo's freaking out because it's nighttime, they're trying to sleep, and the jungle is alive with sounds, and Appa just roars and everybody shuts the hell up. <laughs> the whole thing, too, that, that they're being chased by the swamp pigs because they're good eating, you know. Mm-hmm. That tastes like possum chicken, and I was like, oh my god. Because I live in the South now, and there really are people like this, you guys. I, didn't, <laughs> I thought it was a joke until I moved to the South. And that's what we call real country. And it's like, oh my god, they really exist. <laughs> um, but... I thought it was a cute adventure. I actually really liked that it's all without dialogue. So you have these two characters who are animals, who don't speak, and yet we completely understand what they're talk, quote, talking about, you know, that we have this connection between the two of them that has nothing to do with the humans that they're friends with as well. So I, I like that aspect of it. Uh, cute little side plot, but overall this episode I was like... So the tornado... And this is not, this is not a rant in the way my other rants are rants, but this is me trying to understand, like, the scope of the world. So I would think that a tornado would not be 
any problem for Aang whatsoever. Like, it's air. Like, just make it go away. Well, he tried. But then I suppose... Well, no, he tried to shield them from it. But he didn't try to affect the tornado itself, as far as I saw. Um, but even that, I could kind of talk myself down from that on my own without, without you guys needing to, like, roll your eyes at me. Because I guess you can say, like, okay, well, forces of nature cannot be overcome by man, you know, no matter how spiritual you are, you still have to live by the laws of nature and, you know, if it was a tsunami or something, I wouldn't necessarily <laughs> expect Katara to be able to bend it away, so I, I guess I can see that, I but, like, this... my initial thought okay. was that, like, my initial thought was, like, well, the tornado is, like, the stupidest like, natural disaster to send after them. <laughs> Well, they're dealing with rednecks, and rednecks have to worry about tornadoes, so, you know. But they didn't, the, the rednecks weren't worried about the tornadoes. No, I, I guess they, they weren't. Did it? And they're waterbenders, so it, like, it would make sense if it was, like, a water spout, like, or something else, but it just is a random tornado. And I can go with the whole events are connected in a way, you know, like, this is meant to happen, so the tornado happened because Aang was meant to be here and meant to learn something. I could accept those types of things in this universe, and I have, but the problem is, is that the shit he learns is so trivial as to be like, what was the point of this detour? Yeah, like, like, yeah. And it doesn't have, unlike Omashu, which has kind of had a similar problem in that, like, Ultimately, Aang doesn't really walk away with anything particularly useful, but it had a lot of charm, and it had a lot of characters that we were introduced to that we liked, and so I could kind of forgive those plot flaws because of other things I liked about it. As, as funny as I thought the Swamp Picks were, they were not enough <laughs> to overcome the what-the-fuckness of the rest of this episode. I was just like... Yeah, yeah. I was just ready to write it all off as Sokka has a line that's like, that doesn't count. That's Avatar stuff. Like that. Yeah, it's Avatar stuff. <laughs> I thought yeah. that was good. Fuck it, it's Avatar stuff. Then you know, tornadoes yeah, and I shit. Think, you know, it's woo woo Avatar stuff. It's fine. Yeah. So should we discuss the only good part of the episode, <laughs> which is sure, like can... o- only like a minute and a half long? Uh, it's the, yeah, it's the, the beginning f- and the end. Yeah, yeah, it's the framing device for the episode. So the episode opens, and Zuko and Iroh are still, you know, in hiding in the Earth Kingdom, and they're panhandling. And they're Iroh, not even panhandling; they're just straight up begging. It's yeah, begging. Yeah, yeah. it kind of broke my heart, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, it did. And Iroh is really cheerful and you know, happy-go-lucky about it, and Zuko is, of course, I think both humiliated and furious, and, you know, all that, all the many emotions that Zuko always has warring inside of him at any given time. (laughs) And then, you know, people are tossing coins in, and there's, you know, a guy and a pretty lady who Iroh flirts with, and they go by, and then there's a guy who comes and wants Iroh to sing, so he gets up and sings a song about the girls of Ba Sing Se, and, <laughs> you know, all those nights of music night are paying off, um, and he, the man who's asking them to sing, starts saying, you know, like, oh, yeah, I'm, this is a gold piece, you really have to work for it, or whatever, and taking his swords and, like, swiping at Iroh's feet to force him to quote-unquote dance. Um, 
you know, and then he laughs at them and tosses in the gold piece and walks away. And you can see Zuko throughout this entire thing is just furious. And at the end of it, Iroh says, oh, what a kind man. Yeah. And, you know, Iroh is good-natured, but he's not stupid. And I don't for a minute believe that Iroh is oblivious to the insult or the humiliation. Oh, yeah. I don't think he that was either. No, not at all. And I think it was purely for, like, morale, for Zuko's benefit yeah. to be like, this isn't hurt me, this isn't affecting me, this is fine, you know? Yeah, it's fine. I'm, I'm not humiliated by this. Right. It's okay, yeah. Uh, and it doesn't work. Of course not. Because <laughs> Zuko's a teenage boy. I have one note for this entire scene, <laughs> and, and it's... I know, just let me finish, let oh, me finish, sorry, I'm ahead. almost there. And then um, he, he goes and finds the man in the middle of the night, and we just see, you know, this looming figure with the swords and the blue spirit mask. Mm -hmm. And the very first shot of the entire episode is a wagon passing by and I can't read the writing on it but it looks like it's selling masks and there's a bunch of different ones there and there is one of the blue spirit oh. and my understanding of it is that Zuko took the money that bought the mask, begged, yeah. bought the mask and then went and we're left really ambiguous on that final note we don't see a strike or a battle or a or anything we just see Zuko as the blue spirit looming over the screen and you know does he kill him does he just beat him up are we ever going to find out nope i don't i don't know the answers to any of those questions but it's i think it's a really it's a really chilling moment to not show us what happens. That you're just left there with that image and you know it's not going to be good, whatever it is. But yeah, okay, you can say your thing now. <laughs> oh, I, it just says, way to give Zuko something to do, guy. Because, like, <laughs> he was an angry teenager who had literally nothing to do until you showed up. And, like, painted a big yeah. target on yourself. I mean, he couldn't have known, but still, way to give him something to do. Yeah. Yeah. I think it it's by far the most effective part, not only of this episode, of this episode specifically, but it's not even just in and of itself, this, these little bookend scenes that we get that are effective, but it contributes to the larger story of what's going on with Zuko and Iroh. It's... It's just far and away the best part of the episode. I know we're only four episodes in, and the first two episodes were really Zuko-heavy. We got a lot of stuff about him in the, uh, in the first two episodes. And then we got none of him in the third episode at all, and then just a little tiny bit of him now. I am a little concerned about what the introduction of Azula will do to the Zuko storyline. Because I like her a lot as a character, and I like her friends, and I like 
her purpose in the show and I like what she's there to do and I want to know more about her. But we already have a lot to juggle in this show. I mean, obviously, we're going to continue to spend the majority of the time with Angatara and Sokka because they're our heroes. Um, and Zuko and Iroh have been, if not quite neutralized, at least temporarily sidelined. You know, Zuko was kind of that persistent force in the first season that kind of drove them onward and was always at their heels. And that is no longer the case. And so his storyline is no longer connected to Aang's in any way. And Azula's kind of is. You get the sense that now not only is she going to, you know, go after Iroh and Zuko, but she's also now has a vested interest in obtaining the Avatar as well. So she's kind of taking over Zuko's mission at the same time that she's going to hunt him down. And I'm a little worried that we're going to sacrifice his story for hers in the second season. <laughs> and I like her, so I, I, I don't... I don't want to say that I don't mind because I love Zuko and he is my everything, but I'm, it's better her than anyone else, I guess, because I'm genuinely interested. But I would be lying if I said that wasn't a concern. Well... She's hunting <laughs> all of them. I mean, it's not like... She doesn't, she doesn't come off as someone who gives up easily, and she's hunting Iroh and Zuko and the Avatar, so she can weave between those, those two groups. And and the the goals for Zuko are shifting, and they've been shifting for a long time. And that's what it is: is that as of right now in the show, Zuko is directionless, and he doesn't we, he doesn't yeah, have right. anything. He doesn't know what his purpose is anymore. Yeah, and so and I'm sure they'll rectify that at some point, but right now. That's just kind of what's going on with him. Which is fine, but I'm just saying. <laughs> well, this is not a spoiler, since I think we're going to probably discuss this in our next couple of episodes, but one of the episode titles is called Zuko Alone. So to let you know, it's an entirely Zuko-focused episode. It's yeah, just about Zuko. That means that now something's happening to Iroh. You don't know that, though. <laughs> I don't know that. I, well, obviously, they're not going to kill him, but, like, Zuko alone means Zuko alone, and Zuko with Iroh is not Zuko alone. I'm very could, upset now. It could be a flashback to when he was baby Zuko and had a really lonely afternoon one time. When he was baby Zuko, he had relationships with his family that were at least somewhat better than they are now based on the rose-colored flashbacks we've seen before. But to let you know, though, they have a very specific plan with Zuko. Okay. And I never thought that Azula was going to replace him, even when I was watching for the, this for the first time. Because you know more on the... Zuko is not a bad person. That's the mm -hmm. thing. Like, when the episode ends and he's got the blue spirit, he's basically just knocked the guy unconscious and stolen his swords. I think the way they've characterized Zuko... He's not the kind of kid to murder somebody in cold blood simply for petty retribution. That's something his sister would do, but that's not something right. Zuko would do. So, you know, so you have this portrait of this kid who has, is driven by, in the first season, who's driven by his need for his father's approval. 
you know, and that's not that it's gone now. It's just that in addition to wanting his father's approval, or rather, in addition to being exiled, he now has a bounty on his head, basically, because <laughs> his family is horrible. Um, but they have, a, they, I mean, I think what they do is it goes incredibly well done. And I think they're, they don't ignore him, for sure. I think they devote a lot of time to him, and they have ever since the first season. So I would, I don't know. I, 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 I mean, I like Zuko a lot, period, because I think he's a wonderful character, and I love Uncle, um, and I love the two of them, and I root for them a lot. So I, I would trust where the writers are taking him. Okay. I feel reassured, but now also I can't go to bed when we're done because I'm going to have to watch the next episodes to find out what happens. You are getting to that point, Kelly. Where are you going to start watching ahead? I will not watch ahead. I have not done that so far. I have remained true to my initial, my initial pledge. It creeps in. It'll, it'll come over you slowly. <laughs> You'll be like halfway through this season and be like, oh, one more couldn't hurt, right? I mean... It's not going to screw up the next conversation. Yeah, because I'm looking at the the rest of the episodes for the season. I'm trying to break them up plot-wise to see which makes the most sense. And it's going to be hard to just stop, I think. Because a lot of it is one continuous story all the way to the end. Mm -hmm. Well, I like that. I like serialized TV, so... I'm excited. I, I I feel like I was really cranky this week, guys. <laughs> I was I not... Mean, like I said, the swamp is not great as an episode like i said it, it does some stuff like it kind of gives you some stuff but overall as an episode i was kind of like hmm. yeah i mean it's not i guess if we're ranking them which we're not doing but if we were i guess it's not as bad as bow of the water tribe because no one's so grossly out of character the way they are in that episode but it's probably like the second worst we've seen so far I think I just I don't know I don't dig it I don't like it uh I really yeah, like the yeah. waterbending form on the the boats the hillbilly ones like I know we talked about it like you know being confusing what does one movement do versus another but I feel like with them maybe it was just a posture thing or something but they were very much recreating like the fan on the back of those Fan yeah, boats and the yeah, Everglades. Yeah, the like, propellers, yeah. yeah. And the Everglades, yeah. yeah. And I really, I really appreciated that. I was like, oh, that's like, that's like a great way to bring physicality into this and, and still like draw a comparison to a thing that we know, uh, you know, we've seen in movies and TV and stuff. Oh, also, um, there were, I think I only counted two new animals. One was the um, catfish alligator. <laughs> The most, the most southern thing, aside from possum chicken, right. that you could come up with. Yeah, they mentioned possum catfish chicken. Catfish alligator. But we don't get to see it. The other thing we get to see is a very tiny bird that screams like a murder victim. <laughs> that yeah. actually freaked me out a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it's so creepy. I was like, ugh. Yeah. We didn't mention it in this one, uh, or in the last episode, rather, but when Azula goes to get Ty Lee from the circus, there's, like, that platypus monkey laying an egg. It's a bear. It's a platypus bear. It's a platypus oh, bear. Oh, platypus bear. Yeah. Did we mention that? I no, just, we skipped I don't know, that it. image just came yeah, back to me. One. But we did see the platypus bear before. We saw it in the... Um, what was that episode? 
the one where the Earth King, the, one, the prisoners are taken hostage in the prison. Oh yes, yes, yes. I think it was just the egg laying. No, that no, was we like, saw the we saw the we saw it in the deserter when they came across the. No. No, it was the beginning it of might the. Have been the four- Oh, oh, the fortune teller. The fortune teller, that's right. That's what it was. Aunt Wu said that right. they, oh, like, yeah, that's when they yeah, ran into yeah, the platypus yeah, bear. That's what it was. That it lays an egg, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it, like I said, this having moved to the South, you know, and then having seen this episode, I was like, oh, God, these people really exist, you know? That's the thing. I found one more animal. Elbow what? leech. <gasps> Oh, yeah, and he's like, why are things always sticking to me? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was cute. That was a really cute callback to the previous episode, so. <laughs> Gotta trust Sokka to put a lampshade yeah. on something. Where so is it? Where is, is it? Leech? Where do you think it is? <laughs> and it's this gigantic leech. It's not like a little leech where he can miss. It's this gigantic thing hanging off his arm, and he's like, ah, why are things always sticking to me? Oh, and the um, the parts where they were being stalked by the swamp monster, you could, like the camera was behind a bunch of vines that were yeah, you, can you see know. The vines. I just wrote that down as um, the girl from the ring is stalking everyone because it was just <laughs> a bunch of crap in in front of the camera. Yeah, I don't have any real I don't have any real commentary about this one either, aside from what I've said before. Uh-huh. I think, I mean, personally, I think from, mm, yeah, from this point on, it's mostly a steady rise to the conclusion of the story. Good. Um, there are some more standalone episodes in the middle, but they're much better than this. <laughs> they're just better, period. I, I trust your judgment. I trust your judgment. Oh. Again, I thought... Oh, Mike, go ahead. I was just... No, no, no. I was just going to say my favorite line is um, uh, Sokka, at the end of the episode, after they figured it... You know, after they pulled the mask off of the Scooby-Doo villain and figured everything out, um, he says, See, it's just a bunch of greasy people living in a swamp. (laughs) I also like that Sokka... Both Sokka and Aang were right. Yeah. You know, that there was some mystical force that was calling Aang that he had to listen to, but Sokka was also right that it wasn't monsters. Right. And he has an Avatar <laughs> clause in his theory, so it's all good. Right, right. It's just Avatar stuff. Right, that doesn't you know, count. This is Avatar stuff. <laughs> That's what you guys just have to start saying to me whenever I get off on one of my, like, rants about... <laughs> Kelly, that. it's, it's just like, Avatar it's stuff. Avatar it's just stuff. Avatar stuff. I mean, there are world-building things that I have issues with in this show. And I will mention them when I get there, but the ones that you brought up, I'm like, mm, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. I think it's it's that I'm trying, you know, it is a very unique experience to be watching a TV show for the first time publicly, essentially. You know, like, the whole reason we're doing this podcast is that I have never seen this show, and the two of you love this show so much and have such high expectations for my viewing of the show and I feel like I'm watching it in a different way than I would watch it if I was just watching it for fun like for myself for the first time I don't think that I would necessarily think about these things or have problems with them if I did stop to think about them 
but because I'm watching every episode so critically and I'm trying to, you know, think about like, okay, what am I going to talk about? And I'm trying to pull out the larger themes and I'm trying to anticipate what's going to happen, which is futile. Um, but you know, I'm trying, I'm trying not to embarrass myself publicly. And so, Give up, Kelly. You're never going, you just give up on that proposition. <laughs> Oh, but then, like, half of our drinking game rules will go down the drain. <laughs> Do we have official rules for that that we can release alongside of the podcast? We, I'm sure we can We will. I think, I think by the time, some. yeah, by the time it goes, we'll have our little website. We can have a little, little link with all of our drinking rules. And, uh, I like yeah. that. I've already, I've already screenshotted a couple of our text message exchanges so that I can, so that I can post them at relevant points to go along with the podcasting. It's unique because we're recording this so far in advance from the time, you know, between when we're recording it and when people are going to hear it. So much time has passed. So I, I have like a separate like section of notes for things to comment on when this airs. <laughs> I'm, I've been trying not to mention like topical shit, like things in the news or whatever because for that for that reason like oh this is gonna seem well this podcast is gonna be timeless people oh, will listen obviously. to this for generations to <laughs> this come. is gonna wind up on one of those gold records that gets sent in a spacecraft to another galaxy and aliens will <laughs> three listen three people talking about about a tv show that they have no context for and aliens will listen <laughs> uh i can't think of a better note to end this episode on guys <laughs> Yeah, um, I've got just two, uh, three voice actors worth mentioning. First one was the voice of the swamp monster named Hugh. Is an actor named William Bassett or Bassett, whose biggest credit is Doctor Walter Griffin on Days of Our Lives. Um, <laughs> next is the voice of Tho and Do, which is Carlos Alozaraki, whose name I can never pronounce, but. He was uh, Deputy James Garcia on Reno 911. He was the original <laughs> voice of the Taco Bell dog, Yokero Taco Bell. And hmm. he was the voice of Rocco in Rocco's Modern Life. Oh! Yeah. And then last oh. is... Uh, it's a show I need to revisit. Yeah! Did that just go up on Netflix talking about <laughs> topical shit? Um, Rocker's Modern Life. I think. I think. Uh, anyway, go. Anyways, whatever. Animaniacs is up. No, all right. This is something that I have to confess because how often does Rocco's Modern Life come up in life? So that TV show, there's a frog. Like his neighbor's like a frog. Yeah, Mr. Bighead. Like is it Mr. Bighead? Yeah. Right. So when I I was probably like ten or eleven or whatever when Rocco's Modern Life was on. Does that sound right? Do we know what year? It's, that came it's it was I think in? the early mid nineties. Yeah, that sounds about right. Like ninety three maybe. Yeah. So probably maybe twelve or something like that. It was right around the time that I read The Hobbit for the first time, and Mister Bighead is how I picture Gollum. <laughs> <laughs> Like, like exactly, like in the little outfit and everything. And no matter how old I get or how sophisticated my imagination is, like all my other imaginings of the characters have evolved since that time. And then it's just Mr. Bighead. Is, and I don't think I've, I've never admitted that to anyone anywhere. Well, then this is an exclusive right here. Right. Folks, talk about timeless going to be listened to by aliens. 
Is the Mr. Big Head comparison because you saw the old-timey Hobbit cartoon, and in that, Gollum is no. kind of lizardy and weird-looking? No, I did not see that until I was in high school, and I read The Hobbit as a child, um, and I read it by myself, and I, I don't know what it was. like. Because the other weird thing is my imagination and my internal imaginings of characters is not ever influenced by external things except for in this one singular case like <laughs> when i when i read books and then see movies i don't imagine the movie versions of characters in my head i have my very Same. own yeah. strong intact imaginings and mental images of what these characters look like and that doesn't matter it doesn't matter you know how it works or when i see even if i've seen a movie first and then i read the book my imagination will still be different from the movie just Same, based yeah. on the words and the what it evokes in my brain and so this is truly the only singular incident <laughs> incidents of this thing happening for me in fiction and it's not like it is not even like it's like a creature that kind of looks like like it is mr big head <laughs> 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 like, like exactly him with like the big eyes and like the lips and like the Now I have to reread the Hobbit <laughs> with this in mind. Yeah. The whole time it car it carries through in Lord of the Rings too. <laughs> <laughs> that to me is even more hilarious because the Hobbit's a kid's book, right? Oh, the yeah. Hobbit's it's like whimsical and okay, fine, if you put Mr. Big Head in that context it kind of works. But then you move to Lord of the Rings and he's <laughs> nope. still Mr. Big Head. And everyone else is like super elegant and like just it looks it looks like you cut out Mr. Big Head and like pasted him into my imagination, but I don't know what it is. I like I I'm so embarrassed. I can't believe that I just told you guys this. But yeah, I don't know. That was childhood me just I guess <laughs> latched onto that and when when coming across the description of Gollum for the first time could supply nothing better <laughs> Mr. Yeah, Bighead it, it totally Gollum oh yeah that is an image of Mr. Bighead right there looking like Gollum Gollum like a motherfucker all gonna probably be cut out and I'll maybe save no, it for something extra. don't cut it. Just leave it. Just leave it all in. Let me air my shame publicly. <laughs> Alright. We'll have to post a picture of Mr. Bighead with this one, too. Well, oh, now yes. next time I'm gonna have to find a screen cap of Lord of the Rings with Gollum in it and then just paste Mr. Bighead into it. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Um, what, oh, are, what are the um, next episodes we're doing? Sorry, here? sorry. There was one one last voice actor I just want to uh, toss out there because it is noteworthy. Uh, his name is Joe Ashley. He was the like dick with the swords who was you know screwing with Zuko and Iroh, and he has been voicing loads of uh, Looney Tunes, Bugs, Daffy, Marvin the Martian, Sylvester, um, Plucky Duck on Tiny Toon Adventures. He was the voice uh -huh. of Richard Nixon in Forrest Gump, and he was the voice of Grandpa Lou on Rugrats. That's it. Aww. Talk nice. about this, like, run-down memory lane, man. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> <sighs> Do you guys have any spoiler stuff before we move on? No. May I mean, if you got anything, I'm, I'm good. No, I can, I can hold off. Yeah. All right. 
That wraps up this week's installment of the Earth Kingdom Prairie Home Companion. Next time we'll be covering three episodes, Avatar Day, The Blind Bandit, and Zuko Alone. So be sure to tune in for newbie recaps, know-it-all nerdery, and general squeeing all around. As always, you can subscribe to us via iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or your podcast provider of choice. Oh, and actually, I think as of this week, uh, Google Play also. Um, And you can visit us at our website, uh, earthkingdomradio.com. And if you like us, please rate and review when you get a chance, as it helps other listeners find the podcast. You can follow me, Kelly, at Bookish Chick on Twitter or Instagram. You can follow me, Mike, at Robo underscore Pants on Twitter. And you can follow me, JJ, at SJ Jones, that's S-J-A-E-J-O-N-E-S, on Twitter or my website at sjjones.com. Our theme music is Cattails by Kevin McLeod, and our logo was designed and created by our very own JJ. Thanks so much for listening. Bye. 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 That wraps up this week's installment of the Earth Kingdom Prairie Home Companion. Next week, we'll be covering three episodes, Avatar Day the second one that I can't remember the blind bandit the blind bandit that wraps up this week's installment of the earth kingdom prairie home companion next time we'll be covering three episodes avatar oh fuck (laughs) (laughs) just write them down